Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. We are talking about bouncing back after loss, and our second guest is Alan Klein. Alan saw the therapeutic value of humor during his wife's terminal illness. He is a professional speaker and author of 15 books, including The Courage to Laugh, Humor, Hope, and Healing in the Face of Death and Dying. Welcome to the show, Alan, and welcome back, Gloria. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Heidi. Well, Alan, I'm really looking forward to the show today. Um, how did you get to be a jolly ontologist? Is that what you call it? I, it's actually jolly tologist. Jolly jollytologist. Yeah, yes. you're close, but no winner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> jollytologist. And okay. um, it started out in, first of all, I, I will say that I never considered myself funny. And uh, my wife and I, when we were married, she was kind of the funny one. And, and we'd ask, why are we still married when people around us, our friends, were getting separated and divorced? And she'd always say, because I made her laugh. Mm. And then uh, we actually lived in New York City, moved to California, got a great Victorian house, and then we found out she had a uh, terminal liver disease, primary biliary cirrhosis. And the doctor was really puzzled because she was 31 at the time of the diagnosis. And um, he said mostly women over 65 get this. I don't understand, but let me do more investigation. And he found out, yes, she did have primary biliary cirrhosis. And at that time, there were no liver transplants. There was no cure. And indeed, she did pass away three years later. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah, from reading the book, she was quite a character. She wanted to dance her way through, right? Right, right. And and, and, and you so, got kind of cranky about that. Pardon me? You got kind of cranky about well, that. Well, you? you know, here my wife is dying and she wants to go out disco dancing. And <laughs> um, it wasn't until after she died that I realized she was living as fully as she can even while dying mm-hmm. and that she wasn't letting the illness robbed her of her her life and and it upset me because i'm thinking she should be in bed she, you know she should be resting but she wanted to live life fully and it was a really great lesson for me after she died that we don't know how much time we have um mm-hmm. and and to live life fully and that's how i got into the humor part but she had a great sense of humor and always used it even during those difficult three years and uh, one of the examples I give is she was in the hospital. She had a copy of Playgirl magazine with the male nude centerfold. And she said, Alan, I, I really like this picture this month. Can you put it on the wall by the bed over there? And I said, Ellen, it's a hospital. We was gay for that. And she said, well, maybe you're right. She said, why don't you get a leaf from the plant over there and cover up, you know, that part. <laughs> and so I said, okay, and I did that. And things were fine for the first day, fine for the second day. But by the third day, the leaf started shriveling up. <laughs> and we would look at the picture and we would laugh. And even when we came home, we would look at a plant and we would start to laugh. And I realized looking back, it wasn't a lot of laughter. It was five or ten seconds. But what mm-hmm. it did is helped us revive, helped us get a little reprieve, a little perspective on the situation, even if it was five or ten seconds. 
just to get away and, and realize that we can rise above the situation. And so she taught me a great lesson about humor and laughter. And so then I went on and, and studied that, got a master's degree in human development. And my thesis was The Healing Power of Humor, which turned into the first book. And then The Courage to Laugh was the second book. Wow. And, and you've written how many? Fifteen. Uh, and wow. they all have these amazing stories in it because I was flying to Boston yesterday and I was laughing. My husband was getting annoyed because I kept he was working on business and I kept saying, you've got to hear this story. <laughs> <laughs> I kept reading him different stories. But one of the things we've got going here, um, Alan, is a lot of the people that are listening to our show are really newly buried. There's some of them are. And I know you say there is a shock time that, that maybe they're not ready for this quite yet. There is. You know, when you hear, whether it's you hear about a cancer diagnosis, um, whether you hear about your child breaking their arm, whether you hear about a death, it's a shock. It's, it's you know, how am I going to get through this? And so, you know, all these things go through your mind. Certainly when my wife died, I felt numb. You, you just, your previous guest talked about people not eating, you know, not clothing, not bathing. I mean, if you just want to... In some ways, you want to die, too, because part of you is, is gone. Part of you has died. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a shock, and there is, and so there may not be impetus to go on living at that time or to lighten up or to see any humor around you, even when it happens. Um, you know, everything has changed in your life, and so you have to deal with that. So it is a shock. A loss is a shock, and... Um, Difficulty, maybe the most difficult time you've had in your life. Right. Heidi, you were talking a little bit about guilt around your laughter. Do you want to tell, tell Alan about yeah, that? Yeah, I, a couple things. One is I remember the first time I laughed and I remember feeling guilty about it because I thought, how dare I have the right to be laughing and be in a positive space when my brothers died. Right. That, that is so common. And, um, you know, I, I can say don't feel guilty, but of, of course people do. But, you know, laughter and tears are so close together. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, and they both have, they both have a lot of benefits. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you said, your guest previously just said that there's a lot of toxins that come out when we're crying and we need to cry when we're grieving. But laughter also helps. And the thing that I, I try to get people to, to go, to live again and to laugh again is because you can't get on with your life if you're grieving. I mean, yes, for a short time you need to do that and maybe periods in your life you need to do that, but at some point that will stop you from getting on with your life. Well, and and like you said, laughter is an emotion. Sometimes we laugh until we cry and a lot of times you can talk about what's really going on in your life or talk about the truth if you kind of couch it in humor. Right. Often, often um, I know I was a hospice volunteer, and often we can laugh about stuff together that they were really serious about, and they couldn't kind of talk mm-hmm. about it in any other way. Tell us and, one of your hospice stories. I know you've got them in the book, one of your hospice experiences. Well, um, there was I interviewed a woman, and she said, she had fourth-stage ovarian cancer, and she said she made this dinner for people and went in the kitchen to get something and looked in the mirror, and her she had a wig on because she had no hair from the chemo, and the wig was a solid melted glob of plastic fibers. <laughs> and she realized she probably had gotten too close to the oven when she was cooking, but she also realized 
that these people were sitting there looking at her like this and not laughing, not saying a word. And so she came back and started to laugh and, and you know, making fun of her wig, and they all started to laugh. And she said, hearts really connected because we were laughing together. Yeah. And I like the story you told, too, about the um, man who was in a hospice and he was dying. And I guess it was his daughter who kept saying, go to the light. Yeah. I and wrote this go book, to the uh, light. And finally he kind of came out of it a little bit and, and looked at her because she was running up every time he'd change. And, and said he looked at her and said, it's, no big, it's not as big a deal as you think it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> One of my favorite stories in the book is about a hospice uh, nurse. And first day on the job as a hospice nurse and has to give the patient an enema. And uh, the, and, uh, the patient looks up at the nurse and says, do you have, what flavor do you have today? And the nurse, just kidding around, says, you know, banana or strawberry. And the patient says, okay, I'll take two strawberry uh, enemas. And the nurse says, two, why do you want two? And the patient said, I hate dining alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there's a real, I, I tell that story because there's a real point that death and dying, serious illness is not funny. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really funny, but funny things happen. And I right. think that's, that's where the humor can come in and that's what people can look for. Mm-hmm. I was thinking uh, when I was reading this that the biggest joke is yourself when you can finally laugh at yourself. You're the greatest oh, yeah. joke of all. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm practically totally bald, and I tell people I'm a former expert in how to cure baldness. <laughs> <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit more about somebody talking there about when you don't laugh, they feel like you're treating the living like the dead. Well, you know what I realized when I was grieving and when I worked in hospice and saw other people grieving, particularly if they didn't let go of that grief at some point or ease up on it or embrace life again, is that then two people have died. The deceased and the and the living person is actually still living but not partaking in life, not embracing life, and therefore is partially dead too. And so I think it's an even more tragic situation um, when we don't embrace life again and get back to our life again. Now and talk a little bit about some of the uh, um, movie stars' headstones. I thought they were amusing or, or things that people put on. Well, them. you know, I say death and dying is not funny, but there are funny things that happen, and one of them is tombstones with funny things on it. Um, I, there's one word a gardener had. Uh, he was a gardener all his life, and it just says transplanted. Um, a dentist had filling their last cavity. Uh, I don't remember exactly the movie, what the movie stars wanted, but one of my favorites. I is, remember Paul Newman's doesn't say my eyes aren't blue anymore or something. <laughs> right, right. But one of my favorite tombstones is I told you I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, so, again, the point is, that's not funny, you know, burying someone isn't funny, but some people want funny tombstones, and, right. and so there's humor there. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, my mother, uh, when my dad uh, had dementia and he was in the very last stages, she used to tell me these things that he did, and, and she loved telling them to me because I'd laugh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, well, she would tell me the, these absurd, you know, the, the things that hurt you most are sometimes the, the things that are so ridiculous, like, 
he they lived in a condominium way up and you know a lot of people around it but it was on a higher level it was on like the 20th fifth floor or something and he got out of bed when i opened the window and was screaming she's trying to kill me she's trying to kill me mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and you know my mother telling that story i was in hysterics by the time she got through and when you think about it it really isn't that funny right but it, those kind of humor situations like you had to be there you know, exactly. and it's a way to share share the lighter moments with the family and a wonderful way to remember the deceased. Um, well, and the, the 9-11 widows that I work with say that they really have a good laugh when they're together oftentimes sharing funny stories that people outside of that experience can't really relate to. Right. And and so you have to really be in that in that circle, um, the family circle, to understand some of that and why people are laughing. And it's why... It's important for healthcare workers to not poke fun at situations because mm-hmm. they they don't know what's happening. But if you're in that circle, if you get to know the patient really well, you might be able to joke about something that's happening. Okay, so if I have had a loss, I, it's been a little while. I think I, I I'm hearing you. How do I start laughing? Okay. Interesting you, you asked me that question because I'm working on a book proposal now called Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying, and it's actually the five steps for fully embracing life after loss. So the first step we've actually just talked about a little while ago, and that's losing. You have to deal with the loss, and it's a shock. Second step is is that you're learning, um, and, and I believe that, I call it the vacuum cleaner theory, but... When someone is out of your life, you've lost a loved one, something's going to come and fill it. Um, and you know what that is. You know, there's, I, I do believe there's a higher power, and, and that will come to us in some way. We don't know what that is. But there's an empty part of your life, and that's going to be filled by, you know, like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, that, you know, mm-hmm. child was killed, and now there's this organization um, Finding a cause or some reason. Yeah. So there's something, I believe death is a gift and that, you know, there's something we can learn in, in the process or something that person has taught us, like my wife taught me how to live life more fully. And then the third step is we need to let go that we can't live in the past. We've got to move on because, as I said, otherwise there's two deaths. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that is forgiving, forgiving what maybe happened, uh, forgiving yourself, forgiving others, forgiving the person who died for dying, perhaps. And then the fourth step is living, that you um, need to, to go on living. And one of the things that I helped me after my wife died is I became a hospice volunteer. I think when you help others, then you're helping yourself. Mm-hmm. And then the last step is, of course, um, laughing, and maybe you can't laugh. Start with a smile by looking in the mirror every day and smiling, um, realizing how, how powerful humor is. I wanted you to give us some tips. You were talking about smiling in the mirror, and I wanted to get some other tips. But before we do that, I want to uh, tell people how to get your books. Okay. The latest one is The Courage to Laugh, right? But you've written how many? Fifteen. And they've um, all got these great stories in them? Yeah, a lot of stories. A lot of our um, quotation books, like uh, the Lift Your Spirits quote book. Mm, so it's just that. people can just open to a page and, and be lifted up for the day just by remembering that one quotation. Oh, great. Now, how do people get your books? Well, they can go online. My website's 
uh, www.allenkleinkleen.com. Or they can go to Amazon, or they can order it at the local bookstore. Great. They are, they are a great read. I was really enjoying reading uh, his book, The Courage to Laugh. Um, okay, so, Alan, we talked about looking in the mirror and smiling. Right. Even if you, if you can't laugh yet. Right. That's a good, a good beginning. The other is, I had a cousin who was like a sister to me, and she died a year and a half ago. And it was a great loss for me. But I have this wonderful photo of her in my hallway that's been hanging up for years. And when I, after I was crying, I was walking down the hall, saw that photo and just lightened up. It's her and a, a Disneyland character. I think we were at Disneyland together, like face-to-face with his his nose on her nose, mm-hmm. uh, the animal character's nose on her nose. And she is like hysterical laughing. And I just look at that picture, and it just lifts me up. And I realize how wonderful a uh, spirit. So I think have a... A joyous picture around of the person you lost that reminds you of their great spirit, of their laughter, of their humor, of the times you laughed together. Um, and that's another tip, is, and we just discussed that. Is You could also go to an amusement park. Yeah, go to Disneyland. Go, yeah, yeah. Find a buddy, a humor buddy that you laugh with. Yeah, um, I like you that. Know, whether it's, you can do it on the phone. You don't even have to get together. It's, Face-to-face is sometimes better. And maybe you cry a little, and maybe you laugh a little. You know, that's Um, a great idea, because we had someone come on the show who said, uh, or maybe it was a Compassionate Friends, Heidi, they said you can compartmentalize your friends. You know, mm -hmm. maybe some people aren't good grievers, but they may be people who are fun to be with, and you might just not expect them to grieve. Yeah, I think Kandoka said that. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what Alan's saying. Pick somebody that maybe is your humor buddy, maybe is going to make you laugh, and take a break from your grief for a little bit. Right, right. And that's it. You might say, okay, today, 10 minutes today, I'm not going to grieve. Mm-hmm. And set that aside to do something else, maybe to find some humor, something to lighten up, something to bring you joy. I think, you know, it doesn't even have to be laughter, just something that brings you joy. What are the th- And then you might want to start a joy list. What are the mm-hmm. things that used to bring me joy that I can still do? Because we forget about that when we're dealing with a loss. I like that, a joy list and look at, yeah, what made you smile in the past? Was it a pet, petting a dog or... Right, maybe it's going to your garden and, and looking at the flowers mm-hmm. or, you know, because that or brings them in the house because that really brings you pleasure. Um, so it doesn't have, I'm not talking about fall down laughter, I'm just talking about lifting your spirit up after the loss. What if I want some fall down laughter? Well, then movies. I Who's your favorite comedian? Or I like or, Robin Williams, yeah. Robert, I love Woody Allen. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can just watch his movies over and over and, and laugh. I've seen Banana. What is it? Bananas? Uh, I don't know the name of the movie right now, but Sleeper. I'm mm-hmm. thinking of Bananas because there's like 20-foot bananas in the movie. And there was one where it was a robot. I can't remember. I saw that. and It's hilarious. Some of his right. early movies are very funny. Now, some people don't like Woody Allen, so you've got to find who makes you laugh. And then just go after that. Um, there's a lot of yeah. funny movies I just out saw, right I now. just saw Seinfeld in uh, live, and I was sick. I was laughing so hard. After two hours, I'm like, I've got to get out of here. I'm, it was the funniest two hours I've ever spent. Right. And then the other thing I think is, um, you know, why look at stuff you don't have? Look at stuff you do have. So, again, mm-hmm. do a list of all the stuff in your life that you really, that brings you pleasure, that... Um, 
that you're grateful for. Do a grateful. So paying, paying gratitude to what you still do have in life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I know a great teacher of mine says to want what you don't have is to lose what you do have. Oh, I love that. And so I'm always looking at what are the sure I don't have this I don't have that but I have so much more. Mm-hmm. And your, so to, your friend Rick uh, that you talk about in the book was quite a character, wasn't he? Oh, Rick Saperito, yes. And in, in fact, I walked in his house and uh, there was a star David, there was a Buddha, and there was um, a cross. And he Rick covered his bases. Pardon me. <laughs> I said he covered his bases. He had it all right. covered. Right, and Rick, because Rick was a Quaker, and I said, how come you have all these diverse religious symbols? And he said exactly that, covering all bases. <laughs> I love it. Um, so there's just, you know, different things you can do, and everything is going to work different for different people. But I think one of the big things is 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 doing a list of all the things you're grateful for and also a list of, um, or start forgiving, forgiving people, forgiving yourself. Um, maybe you were angry with the person that you lost. Start forgiving yourself about that. Forgive them. Because forgive. if we don't forgive, we're like carrying it around. It's like another burden. And, of course, you can lighten up and enjoy life by carrying that around with you. Well, I would say that if you want to have a good laugh, get Alan's book. Because it really removes you from from your own stuff and has you read about other other people's things. And what I like about it is there are a lot of little short stories in there. If you don't feel like you've got the attention span to uh, you know read something longer right now, you can just pick it up and read a little section. The courage to laugh, humor, hope, and healing in the face of death and dying. It's a great read, Alan. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great having you on. It was. A lot of fun and way too short. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks, well, thank Alan. You. you have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.